do things a little bit different this morning. I know some of you are still coming in, but we're going to go ahead and start jumping in. So if you wouldn't mind raising your hand to borrow a Bible, we're going to go ahead and pass Bibles out. If you didn't bring one, if you don't have one on your phone, you can raise your hand and leave it in the pew when you are done. Now I want to give a quick heads up. Um, I know a lot of you are going to be traveling a lot in March, and you're going to disappear, spring break, all of that. Some of you have already left, but when we have our Good Friday service, we're going to have baptism connected with that. So if you have not been baptized, it's time to get baptized. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've got to get baptized. Come meet with us now so we can get you set up and, and organized so that when Good Friday comes, you can get baptized. And I know a lot of you, like I said, are going to be leaving soon to go out of town for like till April. Uh, Keep in mind that when we come back in April, when we all thaw out and the sun finally decides to come out in April, we will have two services starting on Palm Sunday, which will be the first Sunday in April, 9, 15, and 11. I know you're going to forget that, but I'm still telling you now, 9, 15, 11. Not next week. Do not show up here next week at 9.15. 9.15.11 starting in April. So just put that in the back of your mind, and, or we'll send you emails and, and make sure you don't forget. Well, this past week I was reading something that was talking about my job as a pastor, and I always like to read things that talk about being a pastor. And this particular thing I was reading about being a pastor was saying that one of the roles of the pastor is that I'm supposed to keep you from sinning. I don't know if that's really one of my roles, but you ever thought about that? Like part of my role is to keep you from sinning. And, and so this is, this is what, what happens. I'm like standing by the edge of a cliff, often, just pretend this is a cliff, and pretend this means sin represents sin. I'm standing by the edge of a cliff, and this is what happens. A group of EBFers come along, and they're, they're, they're about to go off the edge of the cliff of sin. And I tell them, as I've been doing for many years, look, do not go off this cliff of sin. If you go off, it's, it's, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Back away. Do not sin. Do not jump off the cliff. And EBFers, they say to me, Pastor, man, you have such a good heart for us. You love us so much. Thank you for warning us. And then they jump. And then you know what? It happens again. Another group of EBFers come up and I say, look, I know you're new here, but let me tell you something. If you get close to this and you jump off, come here, come peek. Look at all the splattered bodies down there. Look at all the blood that's been spilled for jumping off a sin. Don't jump off. And then EBFers say, oh, pastor, you're so compassionate. And you're so kind and your heart is so big. Thank you so much for warning us. And then they jump. And it goes on like this over and over again. And I think to myself, forget it. I'm sick and tired of warning you. If you want to jump, go ahead and jump. You want to splatter, go ahead and splatter. And I'm, in fact, I'm just, I'm sick of it. Just do whatever you want to do. And so this goes on over and over again. And then shock of all shocks. You're never going to guess what happens next. I jump. 
You see, that's the reality. That is the reality that all of us sin. Still, we get warned, we, we get in the Word, we lift up Christ, and we still jump and splatter. I do it, and you do it. And it's nothing new. It's been going on for a long time. In fact, the first disciples did it a lot. In fact, they jumped and they bailed on Jesus during the hardest point of his earthly life. They all bailed on him and then on the night as he was starting to approach his trial and crucifixion. They jumped. But what I want you to see that's so amazing that we're going to harp on today is this. Jesus knew it was going to happen. And he still decided to go to the cross to die for sinners. In the midst of people bailing on him, denying him, betraying him, he still decided to go to the cross for sinners. And the verse that rings loud in my head is Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Don't look there. I'll put it up for you. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And each of those disciples who bailed on Jesus, minus one, Judas, they all were restored and they all were forgiven. And what I'm hoping that we'll see today is that as you see the love of Jesus in the midst of your sin, that it will encourage you not to run away from him, not to think that God's going to be crushing you, but encouraging you to repent and move back to him and find restoration and forgiveness and to keep coming to him. Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. If you're new with us today, we've been going through the book of Matthew. And here we are talking about the passion of Jesus Christ. You know, the passion of Jesus Christ is talking about the events surrounding his suffering and his death. And today we're going to look at the Last Supper. That's why we have the, this bread and, and juice up here talking about the symbolism of his death for us. But this symbolic meal, obviously, it's, it's pointing to Jesus' death on behalf of sinners. And we have a lot of sinners in this passage today as we have a lot of sinners out here and a chief sinner preaching to you right now. But sandwiched in between this meal, just think of it this way. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper, but sandwiched in between this meal is a story of betrayal. You know it. It's Judas. But then we have on the other end the story of denial, Peter, and then bailing of the rest of the disciples. And in between, we have this meal. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's amazing how this is, this is put together. So let's go ahead and jump on in, starting in chapter 26, verse 17. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. 
And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. So the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, it would last for seven days, and it would be kicked off with the commemorative Passover meal. Now, you may be familiar with the Passover meal. It would, also, it would always have the sacrificial lamb, and it was to remind the Israelites. Remember when they were in Egypt, and the blood of the lamb was put on the doorpost, and the Lord passed over the firstborn and did not kill the Israelite firstborn, but destroyed the firstborn of the Egyptians. So in keeping with this tradition that would happen every year, the disciples say, okay, Jesus, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal? And Jesus directs them to this man who has a house where they're going to probably go into a room and have the Passover meal. So Jesus is anticipating this. He's got it all planned out. He's ready for this meal. He's going to explain to his disciples what is about to happen. Let's keep going. Verse 20. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. You talk about a shock. Jesus doesn't say, you know, somebody is going to betray me. He says, one of you guys, one of the twelve here, one of you are going to betray me. And and just kind of like act like you don't know who it is. Just pretend for a moment you don't know it's Judas because the rest of the disciples, they don't know who it is. Because look at the question they ask, verse 22. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? That's a good question. You see, the disciples in the past have been basically ripped open by the teaching of Jesus, and they realize that they're sinners, and they're asking the appropriate question. They don't even trust themselves. They don't trust their heart. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, and they're like, oh, oh my, is it me? They don't even trust themselves. Is it, is it, am I the one that's going to betray you? And, and that's a good heart to have, this, this like, oh, Lord, you're saying something. Am I, am I, am I, is it, am I going to turn my back on you? And so if you're here this morning and you're wondering if you have this betrayal heart of Judas, if you're going to turn your back on Jesus, you, you probably don't have it. You probably, it's probably not you. You see, it seems like Judas is just so deceived beyond deceived. And he obviously doesn't repent and come back. And so if you're, you're here with a soft heart, wondering if you're the betrayer, you're probably not. Jesus answers them and he says, Verse 23, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. So all of them are dipping food in with him. So one of them is going to be the one, but who? Verse 24, the Son of Man goes, it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So the scriptures in God's sovereignty and providence predicted that there would be this betrayal, and here we have Judas living out that reality. He's, he made free will choices. You know, it's not like you're saying, well, he was determined to live it out. No, he, he chose to betray Jesus, and yet the scriptures predicted his betrayal. And Jesus says, man, it'd be better if you weren't even born, because you are denying the Son of God. You're going to be suffering forever in hell. Better off if that man was not even born. Now, Judas, he wants to cover his tracks a bit, so he deceitfully joins the question of the disciples, verse 25. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? 
Now, notice he uses the word rabbi and not the word Lord as the disciples do. He, he just called him his teacher. Is it I, rabbi? He said to him, <clears throat> and Jesus said, you have said so. So he's like playing along with the rest of the disciples. They're all saying, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And he's like, is it, is it me? And, and Jesus is like, man, you, you know it's you. You have said so. You just spoke the word. You said it, not me. You said it. He like calls his bluff. Now, as you think about the betrayal here, I don't know about you, but I don't like when people betray me. I mean, have you ever had somebody close to you who's your friend betray you? It's just, it's not fun. It's, it's very painful and it hurts, especially when they, they're proclaiming to, uh, to be a Christian. But just, just go and take it to another level when you talk about Jesus. He knew the whole time that Judas was the one who was going to betray him. Judas is following him throughout his public ministry. He knows it's Judas. And then he shares his last meal with Judas. It'd be like somebody in here. Um, let's say two guys in here are friends. They, they come up and they, they take the Lord's Supper together. And then afterwards, they go outside the building and one of them pulls out a gun and blows the other guy away. That's what happened with Jesus. He has this meal with Judas. And Judas totally betrays him, betrays him, and hands him over to death. So on one side of the meal, before it even begins, we have betrayal. And now we're going to skip the meal for a moment and look at the other side of denial of the disciple Peter and the running away of others. Look at verse 30. Skip down to 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So they just moved from the Passover meal to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus already said someone's going to betray him. But now he says, every single one of them, he predicts it. He says, you're all going to fall away. And then he quotes Zechariah 13, 7 and says that God is going to strike him. He's the shepherd. And when God strikes him, then all of the sheep, the disciples, are going to run away. But it's interesting. The falling away of the disciples was not for good. There's going to be a future restoration. Look at verse 32. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So after his resurrection, he's going to see the disciples in Galilee, and there's going to be a restoration. Remember the the famous restoration of Peter. So there's going to be a future restoration and forgiveness. And so you just kind of pause for a second, and we're not going to get into it really much now. That's for future sermons. And say, well, what's the difference between Judas and Peter? What's the difference between Judas and Peter? I mean, Judas betrayed him, and Peter denied him. And what's the difference between the two? And you can get into a lot of different scenarios, but I think the main thing you need to say is what they did next. What did they do after they betrayed him, denied him? What did they do next? And so what did Judas do? Well, he felt really bad, and he hung himself. And Peter repented and found forgiveness. They both did terrible things, but what did they do next? One was restored, and the other fell away. Well, Peter, he's not a big fan of Jesus saying that they all are going to deny him, and he believes that he is the exception. So verse 33, Peter, Peter, Peter answered him, 
though they all fall away because of you, I never fall away. I mean, he's just dogging his friends, right? He's like, okay, those guys may fall away, not me. I am the exception here. I will not fall away. I wonder how the other disciples felt, felt about that. Well, look at Jesus says in verse 34. He says, uh truly I tell you, this very night, we're not even talking future, it's just this very night, the rooster before it crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter's fall is more dramatic than the rest because he views his fall as an impossibility. See, the others, they're going to bail on Jesus, but Peter, he dramatically denies him three times in the same night. But Peter, at this point, still not buying it. Verse 35. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now, notice the next point. And all the disciples said the same. So Peter, he's digging a deeper hole for himself. He's claiming that he'll die with Jesus. And all the other disciples chime in and say, We're with you, Jesus, all the way to death. No way were we ever bail you. And you know the story. Peter denies him three times, and the disciples, all of them, take off, and they bail. I was reading a book this week I want to share with you. It's by Steve Brown. It's called Three Free Sins. Do you like that? Three free sins. Don't you want some free sins in your life? He's a host of a radio show, and, and one day he decided to offer his uh, callers that call in that are Christians, he offered them three free sins. And you think, why in the world would he do that? Why would he offer them three free sins? Well, I think what he's getting at, as I was reading the book, is that most people, sometimes we just feel self-righteous. Sometimes we don't feel like we're sinners, and during the time of the Reformation, there was one guy who made this comment. He said, when you sin, sin boldly. You know, and, and the idea is not to encourage sin. The idea is this, to own your sin and see it as a bridge to forgiveness in Jesus. See, a lot of you are here this morning, and we're about to take the Lord's Supper, and you have this vague notion that maybe you're a sinner, maybe you're not. Maybe you need three free sins. Maybe you need a countless number of sins. Maybe you need to see you're, you're, you're a sinner. And once you grasp a hold of that, then you see the bridge to forgiveness in Jesus. And I was thinking of three free sins, and I was thinking about Peter and his three sins of denying Jesus. I'm sure he would rather have those sins back that he feels terrible for. But what does Peter do? He uses his sin as a bridge to forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. And the reality is there are no free sins, right? It's very costly what Jesus had to do in paying for our sins and death on the cross. But we want to acknowledge that we are sinners. We want to own our sin and use it as a bridge to come to forgiveness in Christ. And we're soon going to take this meal and remember what Jesus has done for us. But before we jump to it, we need to pause. We're, we're really going to pause. We, I don't know if we've ever done this before. We stop in the middle of the sermon and just say, we're going to stop. 
we're going to pause, and we're going to take some time to examine our lives, to, to e- examine, maybe perhaps even confess sin before we even take this meal. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me put it up for you. 27 and 28. Maybe you've heard it every time before, before we do communion. It says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine, examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So the original context in Corinthians is talking about uh, the divisiveness of the body, the selfishness within the body of Christ. Uh, they need to examine their hearts. They're being extremely selfish, coming to the Lord's Supper, not considering one another. They need to repent of their sin, and they were mocking the meal. And we want to make sure here this morning we're not mocking the meal of Jesus. And I believe this passage in Corinthians can be broadly applied to all of us. So before you take this meal, examine your life. Do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? I'm not asking you to go on this secret sin hunt in your life where you're just sitting there, you're trying to think really hard of your sins. You know, you know, if you have unconfessed sin between you and your spouse, bitterness, resentfulness, issues you're not dealing with, if you have something between you and your parents, between you and someone else in here, if you have secret sins, there really is, it comes to a point where we can't keep taking communion over and over again while ignoring those areas of our lives. I don't know where that ever came from, where we thought that we could take communion and then just go out and do whatever we want and just totally ignoring any repentance. Where did that come from? So I want to encourage you to examine your lives, like, seriously. Like, don't just go through the motions. Like, Lord, is there something you want to deal with me? May the Spirit of God convict you. Convict you. So when you take the meal and you remember him, you're not perfect, but you understand, oh, he actually died for my sin. I mean, there's not going to be a forgiveness there if you're not going to be repenting and confessing and acknowledging and owning. Use it as a bridge to forgiveness. And as you examine yourselves, examine yourself in light of the love of Jesus, that he died for you while you were a sinner. He died for you while you were running away from him. We have the Lord's Supper smack dab in the middle of a lot of sinners. And here it is in the middle of us again today. So we're going to go to this time of examination. This is always an interesting time because we're going to be singing some songs, uh, just uh, two of them, and you're, you're not going to know what to do. You're like, should I stand? Should I be sitting? Should I kneel? Should I get on the floor? Are people going to be embarrassed if I get on the floor? Should I? Do whatever you want to do. Don't worry about the people next to you. Right now, examine yourself before God in the light of his love for you. And if you want to stand, stand. If you want to kneel, kneel. Whatever you want to do. If you need to go talk to someone, feel free to do that. If you want to confess to someone near you, feel free to do that too. But we're going to go to this time of examining ourselves in light of the cross of Jesus. And I want you to be amazed by the love. Don't think God's here to crush down on you. Don't think he's here to just wipe you out. Just be amazed by his love. 
So let's go to this time of examination. We have betrayal and denial. And in the middle of that, we have the Lord Jesus and what he has done for us. And now we're going to go ahead and finish the rest of our passage together. It's shocking love. His grace is amazing. We're going to look at the details of the the Passover meal. At the Passover meal, if you've ever been to one, when we lived in California, we would go to them at our uh, Jewish friend's house. They um, would have the host explain what the details of the meal represent, the symbolism. But in this meal, Jesus, I guess, the host is the one doing the explanation of what everything means. And what you're going to find out is that Jesus brings new meaning and explanation and reinterprets this meal in light of himself. Let's look at verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and ever blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. So in a stunning departure from the Passover meal, he takes the bread and he breaks the bread and he is passing it around to his disciples. Now, when you do this in a Passover meal, usually when the elements are passed, the bread, it's, it was done in silence. But can you imagine Jesus saying, here you go, take this. This is my body. And can you imagine the disciples thinking, come again? What's that? This is my body, and this is for you. This is representing his, his death for us on the cross. This, his body was going to be broken for sinners. And as they take it by faith, they're receiving the death of Jesus on their behalf as he died in place of sinners. And then we come to the cup, verse 27. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So the, the wine would be representing Jesus' blood, which is about to be shed on the cross for many, not just the disciples there, but all the disciples after them who, who came to faith in Christ, like many of you here, shed for you as well. And in the Old Testament, uh, there are a lot of examples of animal sacrifices and the blood being poured out. It's very messy in the Old Testament as blood is poured out. But those sacrifices were incomplete and not sufficient, and they poured it, pointed to a greater sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you're here this morning and, and you don't get it, and it sounds like cannibalism to you, let me explain a bit what's going on here. Jesus' death on the cross, his body and his blood, as he's on the cross, he's there for sinners. And he's a perfect man, the perfect God-man. And on the cross, not only is it physically painful, but the Father is pouring out his wrath on Jesus for sinners. He's taking our sin. And then he died, and he was buried, and then he rose again from the grave. And the good news message of this bloody death and glorious resurrection is that if you put your faith in Jesus, you'll have your sins forgiven. God's wrath will not be on you. There will be this eternal relationship with the Father that will last forever, and there will be no hell for you. 
eternal heaven and life simply through faith in Jesus Christ because his work on the cross is sufficient and his blood spilled for you was sufficient to forgive your sins. In addition to this blood, it's called the blood of the covenant. You know what a covenant is? Like A covenant is a relationship between God and his people. And in the Old Testament, when they would uh, inaugurate uh, a covenant, um, we have Moses in Exodus 24.8. I'm so glad we're not in the Old Testament because it is, a, like I said, a bloody mess. And when he would inaugurate the covenant, I'm not going to do it to you, so don't, don't freak out, but he would take some blood and he'd just start sprinkling it on the people. Just take some blood and just sprinkle it on the people. I made a covenant with you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people, right? Yeah, we're going to be your people. We're going to follow your laws. We're in with you. But we know the history of Israel, (laughs) and we know their rebellion against God. And so hundreds of years later, what do we have? What do we have? We have this talk of a new covenant. Jeremiah shows up and says, you're blowing it. A new covenant is coming. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and he has this meal, and he says, the blood of the covenant, it's time for the new covenant, but this time, forgiveness of sins for good. No more sacrifices. And he says, in fact, I don't want to get into it too much, but in fact, in this covenant, something's going to happen to you internally to make you keep following God. Uh, When I talk about the New Covenant, I always like to talk about, uh, I've heard it before, that God makes us in the New Covenant incurable God-lovers. He does such a work in our hearts that he turns us into incurable God-lovers. We're we're, we're gonna, we have the Holy Spirit living on us, we're not gonna go going off the deep end. he's, He's keeping us in him, and that's through the blood of the covenant shed for you. But the last thing that Jesus says about this, this wine he's drinking, he says in verse 29, he says, it's not the end. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He's like, we're going to drink again. But this time it's going to be in my kingdom. When he comes back second time, his glorious return, there is going to be this meal that they're going to have together again, and we're all who are believers are going to partake of this messianic banquet, this huge feast with our Lord Jesus Christ. But until then, we take this meal. Until then, we remember the body of Jesus broken for us and his blood spilled for us for the forgiveness of sins. And right now, we are going to take the Lord's Supper. But it's for people who own their sin. It's for people who say, I have jumped off the cliff of sin, and you know what? I keep doing it. I still need forgiveness. It's for people that are here this morning who own their sin, who confess it, and they find forgiveness in the love of Jesus. You don't have to be a member of this church. You may be visiting out of town. But if you're a believer, and I'm not talking about an American traditional you're just a believer because you grew, you were born in America. I'm not talking about that. I mean, are you a legit believer who trusts Christ to forgive you of your sins and you're following him, you're still jumping off the cliff from time to time, still sinning, but you're coming back to him for forgiveness again and again. I'm talking about a, a Bible believer who really believes in the finished work of Christ. If that's you, you are so welcome 
to take this meal. But if you're here this morning and you're still investigating Jesus, you're not quite sure what you believe right now, we're going to ask that you hold off. They'll take this meal. It, it would just be a snack for you. <laughs> it wouldn't mean anything. So, so hold off. And so we're going, we're going to come up, and, and you're, you're, you may be new here. You're like, how do you do it at this church? Well, we don't pass it out to you. We just get up, and we take some of it, and we dip it, and then we eat it. And, and I just want you to, just if you're new this morning, just follow the traffic patterns, what everybody else is doing. You don't have to figure it out. Just do what everybody else is doing. And for those of you who go to church here, you know what to do. But there's one more thing that we do along with communion. And if you're new here, this, this will really surprise you. We believe that God still heals. And it's according to his will. It's according to his direction, his discernment. But we believe that God still intervenes in history and he heals and he answers prayer. And we believe that just as we want our sin to be a bridge to forgiveness in Christ, we want our need, whatever it is in your life, to be a bridge to prayer where you call out to God in prayer, God, I need you to intervene in my life. I need help. And sometimes that's for healing. Let me put up a verse that we always share during this time from James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So what we do during this time is we have elders available on each end to pray for those who are sick. And we have oil. And you know what? There's nothing special, magical, holy oil. Don't be thinking that. Maybe you come from traditions where you think all types of weird, magical stuff. No, no, it's just symbolic of the blessing of the Lord and his, his power to move and to work. And if you want the elders to pray for you to be healed... Come up and we'll pray for you to be healed. But maybe you don't, you don't have prayers for healing. You feel fine today, but you're struggling with stuff emotionally or circumstantially or whatever it is. We still want to pray for you. Like if you have a need, may it be your bridge to come up for prayer. I, I, I see that many of you are new today. You've not been here before. Don't let that hold you back for coming up for prayer. So now we're going to move to this time of taking communion. And we want to remember that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't come to the table because we are worthy. We come because he is worthy. So let's go ahead and go into this time where we are taking the Lord's Supper and we were coming up for prayer.